Attention. It's time to register for Elusian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate, innovate, inspire, explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. Register now at elive.elusian.com. This conference is going to be epic. By now, you've heard me talk about Insights EDU in Phoenix, Arizona, February 20 through 22nd. Here's why I think you should join us at the Insights EDU conference. It's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. If you're concerned at all about where your enrollments are going to come from in 2024 and beyond, and you should be concerned, you need to be at this conference. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50. Prepare to be astonished. Welcome back, everybody. It's your time to add up on the EdUp Experience podcast, where we make education your business. Dr. Joe Salustio, back here on another one of probably 750 episodes we've done on the EdUp Experience at this point. If you have not checked out our website recently, you should. Um, this episode obviously will come out a little while from now when we're recording it. But my colleague and co-founder of the EdUp Experience podcast, Elvin Freitas, has just returned from the World Innovation Summit for Education in Doha, Qatar. He was recording for the EdUp Experience live on site. I couldn't go this year. Bit jealous um, that I couldn't go to Doha. Um, there were 3,000 colleagues from across the world. He was able to talk to some very, very interesting uh, people. So, you know what? We do live stuff too, you guys. You listen to this podcast, but you can find us on the road. Um, by the time you listen to this, I will, Joe, me, will have been at uh, Middle States Commission for Higher Education in Philadelphia, where I will be visiting uh, my good friend Heather Perfetti, the president there, and recording with great leaders uh, that are uh, with the Middle States Commission as members. And then I will be, and so will Elvin in, in this case, depending on if, I, if he decides to bring me along, now that he's a podcast superstar in his own right, we will be going to Insights EDU, uh, the Education Dynamics Conference in, on February 20 through 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona. Uh, I'll be doing a couple panels there and probably messing up, but that's pretty typical for me at this point. And, uh, and more, we'll be at Elusian Live in April, so on and so on and so on. So if you listen to the podcast, thank you. If you have picked up our book, Commencement, The Beginning of a New Era of Higher Education, based on the insights of 125 presidents I interviewed on this podcast, please pick that up. And thank you if you have. And of course, catch us on the road. Okay, now that I got all that out of the way, I'm a little out of practice, you guys. I'll be honest, I haven't recorded in like two weeks. And I record typically every single day. So the fact that I took a break, it's like I forgot how to do this. So I'm going to be relying a lot on my guest co-host and a lot on my guest who has a lot to say. And then I'm just going to like stop talking. Um, but that seems hard to do because I can ramble on apparently. Anyway, let me bring in my guest co-host. He's here. He's ready. I may make fun of him a little bit. He may make fun of me a little bit. We'll see how it goes. Ladies and gentlemen, here he is. His name is Greg Clayton. He's the president of Enrollment Management Services at Education Dynamics. Greg, what's going on? Hey, Joe. Great to be here. Thanks for having us on today and looking forward to it. 
Now, so so far, are you regretting uh, that education dynamics is bringing me to the conference, or are you happy about it? Now you're seeing how much of a train wreck. It <laughs> I we are super excited to have you at Insights EDU. There, it's going to be a lot of fun. There's going to be a lot of traffic where you are, and I I think I think you're going to put on a wild fun show there. Bullseye. Thank you, Greg. I'll pay you the ten bucks later for saying that, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, we have a great guest for you today. Um, I did my really in-depth research when I go on a LinkedIn profile and see where people worked before I get them on the podcast. But she has a really interesting background, one that I have a lot of respect for. I'll tell you, well, you probably know why if you've ever listened to this podcast. Let me get her in right now, ladies and gentlemen. Her name is Dr. Constance St. Germain. She is president at Capella University. Constance, welcome to an EDA microphone. Thank you so much. I'm just thrilled to be here. I'm feeling a little bit like the thorn between the two roses, Joe, between you and uh, Greg here. Um, so yes, yeah, that could be. Um, <laughs> but we're going to let you play that role. Yikes! 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 Um, well, we'll see. No, seriously. Um, I told you before we started recording. I couldn't even say my own name apparently. But as soon as I get on the microphone, all of a sudden stuff comes flying out. So we'll make we'll make something of this. You've got a lot to say, I think, and a really interesting, you're in a really interesting spot in your career. Um, and I'd like you to talk about your journey a little bit, but you are just now recently the mm. brand new president of Capella University. Of course, Richard, uh, Dr. Richard Sinise is the past president who we got to interview on this podcast. Great, great guy. Um, how's it going? Oh, it's going absolutely amazing. You know, I am just so honored to uh, really trying to take over the reins from Dick Sinise. He was a legend in his own right. Uh, and now uh, being here and being able to carry on the mission and all the great work that he and I did together because I was the provost uh, and, and worked directly for him has just really been a big honor. Uh, and the institution is doing really, really well. You know, one of the first, I want you to talk about your background a little bit, but one of the first questions, and I don't want to miss it, is so you're the provost so you know the landscape you know the people you know the stuff you've walked by a coffee stain here and there like you know the ins and outs of the university and you step in as president it's almost kind of like you have to fire yourself and rehire yourself in a new role right because you can't go in with the same eyes you had in your previous role how is that perspective change been for you? How do you, how do you manage that? How do you keep yourself fresh and not go in with the biases that you had before? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. Um, you know, one of the things uh, I said to Dick first when I took over, I go, wow, I didn't realize your job was so hard um, when uh, I stepped into his, it, this role. But what, you know, the thing different is when you're a provost, you're looking in and downwards, right? So you're really focused internally on the institution about what's going on with operations and everything else uh, in the academic sphere. And when you're a president, it's really about looking up and outwards. So it's really about thinking about what's going on externally, uh, in the higher education landscape, looking around the corner to see what's next. And we are in such an exciting time right now in higher ed. Uh, I am uh, really think that we're going to see in the next three to five years some really robust changes that are already being accelerated as a result of the, the pandemic. What's interesting is you moved from faculty uh, to administration. Yes, I went to the dark side. I yeah. went over to the dark side. Yes, that's true. You know, Brett, we'll see how good you'll be fine. Um, so just talk about your background a little bit because you, you, you've you come from very large, very student-centric institutions all the way through your career. Really interesting. Can you talk about your journey just a tad? 
Sure. Um, I had a very non-traditional uh, journey. I'm not a traditional academic. I actually was a lawyer. I'm a reformed lawyer, I should say. I was in the military uh, for almost a decade uh, as a JAG officer, uh, and then from there made the leap into higher ed as faculty member, as you said. And all the leadership skills that I was taught in the military really just gave me a knack uh, for managing people and um, managing programs. Uh, and so I just worked my way up from faculty all the way up to dean. Uh, and then from there, I went on to be an executive dean, which is like a general manager, uh, and then a provost and now president. So I have been really lucky at being at these really large institutions. Uh, and I think part of the reason uh, with that has to do with the fact that they're just so fun and agile, right? Working at a very large institution, you have the opportunity to make really large impacts um, across given the, the student base uh, at each of those. And so it has, uh, it has taught me a lot um, to get me ready for the position that I'm in today. Amazing. Um, little known fact, um, the former president of University of Phoenix, he probably left right when you got there, Dr. Bill Pepicello. Um, yeah, he is, I know Bill. Yes. You know Bill? Bill's like a frequent guest co-host of mine. And actually one of my, he's that would have been funny if he had been here today. Well, you know, I thought about it. I got, I, I, I asked Greg and then I was like, I can't not, I can't, I can't de ask Greg. Right. That's so okay. I'm not throwing any shade at Greg. I think Greg is awesome. He's doing yeah. a great job. Uh, yes. And Bill really is horrible on the microphone. <laughs> Bill, you know, I love you. You're really great. He actually hosts his own um, podcast called Ed Up Insights, um, oh, where he gives that. his take after his 40 years in higher ed and says all the things wow that all of us would like to say to all the people around us, but sometimes we can't say. So I, I send out Bill's episodes to people go listen to this one, you know, <laughs> it's, it's good. So I'll tell him you said hi, and it would have been funny if I did have him here. That, that right actually would have been really funny. But I, uh, Greg and Greg, you are awesome. and I love you too, man. So why don't you take over? Thank you, Joe. Um, a little bit, I'll tell you a little bit about my background and journey and everything. Um, I've been in higher ed for 30 years, never in an institution, always on uh, the ed tech, service provider side of it. And I started my career after college. I was a December graduate and I was going up. I was so interested in becoming a lawyer. I wanted to go to law school and all of that, Constance, like kind of like your background. And um, I had a gap, you know, it was the, the start was fall and I, I got a job in higher ed and in sales with a company and I just fell in love with it. And I decided to delay the law school thing. And then I started making some money and loving what I was doing. Loving you dodged a bullet. So you dodged a bullet basis, what you're saying That's, by not going to law school. You know how many lawyers have told me that? <laughs> <laughs> that I dodged a bullet, but I, um, I spent a lot of my time in my career at Tom's, what was Thompson learning? It's now Cengage learning. And I came to education dynamics 10 years ago when we were as a company, like strategic priority was starting up a services division and we started that up and really built something spectacular we think that we've got going on now and kind of become one of the the higher ed markets largest unbundlers of marketing enrollment management research and consulting oriented services in higher ed and i work with a great group of people they're just fantastic people and just a pleasure to work here with all those people every day and you know, we work with the adult learner like Capella does, and that is what turns me on, uh, you know, about coming to work every day. The people I work with and the, the, the work that we do and who we're serving with the adult learner population. That's awesome. What, 
Yeah, what Constance, the adult learning population as we um, continue to evolve in higher education, I always say, and I want to get your take on this considering your extensive background, there are traditional institutions mm -hmm. um, that are in stress, we're in stress mode, right? Um, declining enrollment, 18 year old, not probably not going to school and the ones that are looking different methods of doing it. So the, the traditional school goes, you know what? We're gonna go serve the adult student population. It's the way we save our institution moving forward. That's how we grow. We have to access this market. Then you try and go and do that and you see, well, it's just not that easy. You can't extend traditional based resources to a non-traditional population. You have to design for the, tra the non-traditional student. Can you talk about some of the differences that you've seen when you serve an adult student, some of the non-negotiables, things that have to be in place to properly serve the working learner or the adult student. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I think part of the issue, and you're, you've really brought up um, a really important point, is that, you know, a lot of these traditional institutions that were focused on the 18 to 24-year-old think, oh, I can just take the pedagogy that we have, right, and, and put it in an online space. You just can't do that. Teaching in a course room face-to-face synchronously is completely different. Also, when you have an, an older student or learner, as we call them at Capella, right, you really have to look at how you are designing that learning experience and all of the supports that go around it. So it, it's not pedagogy, it's actually andragogy. Um, and so you have to expect that the students that are coming to you already have a significant amount of life experience and probably work experience as well. And in addition, they also have, you know, a lot of demands on their time. Many of them are working full time, right? They've got children they've got to deal with, uh, whether they're in school, they've got extracurricular activities going on, right? So they need an environment that's really flexible. And that's one thing that Capella does really well um, in the fact that we're a competency-based uh, education institution, that we offer two varieties of competency-based education. One is more in what we would call a traditional asynchronous format. So we call that guided path. And then the other one is our direct assessment model, uh, which is untethered from the traditional credit hour. Um, and so we really uh, a learner can move as fast or as slow as they need uh, based upon their uh, proving their mastery of, at any given topic, competency um, in that space. And so we call that model our flex path model. And so, you know, our, our learners who are in our flex path model are really looking to have that flexibility uh, to apply the learning that they know uh, to take what they're doing in the course room. And they want to be also to be able to apply it to their jobs immediately. It's not just theory. It's about real world application. Greg. Yeah, we interesting that I was telling Joe when we started, we we are admirers of the Capella website. We I would classify it as highly student centric. And it's it, you know, when you look at it and you know the field that I'm I'm in and the work that we do, you can tell when a website is really built for students and student-centric versus institution-centric, where student has a very hard time finding the information that they need to help them make a decision when they're they're shopping. And I'm curious about the flex path, um, you know, option that that prospective students have and how it it lines up with over a decade of research that we've done on the adult learner, particularly the online learner, undergrad and grad. And the three things that always pop up in that report that we release, and it's a primary research uh, project that we do every year, we are going to release it at Insights EDU, Joe. So that'll be a big, big piece oh, yeah. of news there. But 
the three things that always show up are affordability or cost, like how, how much is it going to cost and how fast can I get it? And it kind of ties into flexibility and modality and everything. And then the ROI part of it and how the degree or the certificate or whatever path of, of pursuit is lining up with the prospective students' objectives, personal and professional. So I'm curious about flex path and you know, is that what you guys see in terms of why you're offering it and offering it that way is to try to be completely flexible and meet the students where they are? Absolutely. You know, absolutely. So here's what we know about FlexPath, right? All our research has shown that um, anybody, a student who's going through FlexPath, they are going to spend less overall, right? So that hits the affordability button. They're going to take out less financial aid right? They are going to complete their degree faster, right? Than any of their traditional counterparts. And I think that is the, that is the biggest um, selling point for uh, students who are looking at our website saying, great, I, I will spend less money, right? Uh, and I can, I will be more likely to complete my degree and I will be more likely to finish it faster than if I went to a traditional institution, because I can take all the knowledge that I have, right? I have immediate application and I can move as fast or as slow as I need to be um, in any given uh, topic as I'm working my way through those courses. So I think that's really huge. And I think the other thing too is, uh, you know, we're one of the first institutions when we launched this back in 2013, we only offered it at the undergraduate level. But now we go all the way from undergraduate up to doctoral. And we were one of the first institutions in the country to actually offer professional doctorates um, in a direct assessment model. So, uh, and the fact that we're seeing now that FlexPath comprises almost 40% of our overall uh, enrollment just speaks volumes as to how it's being accepted and how many uh, prospective students, right, are are eager to get into that model. It almost kind of goes back to the whole Army thing, right? In the military, you know, we always talk about PLA and, you know, credit, you know, yeah, recognizing credit. credit. Prior learning, right. Yeah, prior learning. And, and I always go, the best example is a military medic who decides to go like an MA and be a medical assistant or mm -hmm. into the medical program. And then you look back at this person who has either seen wartime or probably had better training than we can offer in most instances and say, you know what, that military uh, medic training you had, it actually doesn't apply over here. You gave, you, you did a blood draw for this, uh, you know, a soldier on the field in the middle of battle, but over here with this orange, you need to practice with this orange right. skin. Right, right, right. right. Exactly. It's, it's ridiculous. And so, you know, I, I, I get in a soapbox about that because institutions um, are really bad at PLA where mm -hmm. most are, right? Where it's really hard to look at this class because the faculty member in a lot of respects goes, I want them to take my class and our curriculum. Right. And an adult student can become offended by that and go, what do you mean my, my time and money I spent over here isn't worth anything? I'll just go to Capella because they're gonna recognize it. And how important is that to you at Capella as a leader, as the provost and now president to say, we're gonna give you credit for what, what you've done. Yeah, no. So most of the most of the students that come to us, right, we call them career amplifiers because they're already they're already established in our, their careers. They're looking to how do they take it to the next level, right? And so the way that we deliver on that is one of three ways. One, we deliver on it, you know, the way we design our, our curriculum, so the competency based education model, right? The second way we do that is around work integrated learning, and we do that in three ways. One is around what you're talking about, credit for prior learning. So students can either bring 
you know, their um, uh, American Council of Education credits, right? Using the military is a great example there. So many of them take these courses, right, that are recognized by the American Council of Education, or they can put together a portfolio uh, as well, right? And they can bring that and submit it to the institution uh, and say, hey, can you review this portfolio put together? I would like college credit for this, right? And so then the faculty work uh, with them to, the, to take a look at that. So we're very open and accepting um, about those transfer credits and the credit for prior learning that they're already bringing to the institution. Because at the end of the day, it's about really what's doing in the best interest of the student at the institution, right? That means accepting transfer credit. It means uh, keeping affordability, you know, as key and making sure that they are learning key competencies that will make them successful in the workplace. Are you kidding me? No, I'm not. For a third straight year, the EdUp Experience will be recording live at Elusion Live 2024. This year in San Antonio, Texas, April 7th through the 10th, illuminate, innovate, and inspire. That's the framework for the conference. Leaders from institutions around the world will converge at Elusion Live 2024 to discover game-changing technology, share industry insights, and build powerful connections. It's time to explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future-ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. You can register now at elive.elucian.com. Epic. Oh, yeah. You've heard me talk about the Insights EDU Conference. Well, let me tell you three reasons why I think everyone listening should join us in Phoenix, Arizona on February 20 through 22nd for Insights EDU. One, it's one of the few conferences focused on helping schools serve today's online and non-traditional students. Two, you can expect a mix of speakers you won't hear anywhere else, including higher ed leaders from Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, and more. And reason three, Insights EDU has an agenda packed with sessions discussing the latest trends in higher ed leadership, marketing, and enrollment management. Register now at insightsedu.com and use promo code EDUP to save $50 off your registration. Oh, yeah. Love it. Greg. I was waiting for a sound effect on you that know, one. It's hard to, you know what? When somebody makes it, here, here's one. That's a fact. That's a fact. There you go. Yeah, that, that was good. Um, so in terms of... Um, like connecting, like you mentioned uh, the CBE model and, and everything that you use in terms of connecting to what the students objectives are. Um, you, you mentioned, I think you said career enhancers. As well. uh, career amplifiers. Career, career amplifiers. amplifiers. Mm -hmm. So um, that, that's interesting. And we, you know, that shows up in that ROI piece I was referring to and those studies that we've done with students and their they're, you know, upskilling, amplifying, some are changing careers and looking to to help with that, um, how does that fit into the to the CBE model as you see it? Mm. Yeah, you know what what that helps. Uh, what really helps with that is with the CBE model, it's really about the marriage of right theory and practical application, right? So when we're looking at how we're actually designing those courses is we make sure that we have faculty, right, who are qualified. We call them scholar practitioners because they are active in their disciplines. These aren't what you would think like, and I was taught by some of these, this is a long time ago, of faculty members who had never practiced, 
right? They might have doctorates, but they had been in academia for their entire life. And so they knew all the theory, but they had never actually been out in the real world and been and applying that theory. But all of our faculty, over 80% of our faculty are doctorally prepared. Um, they are actively practicing in their fields. And so they're able to bring their real world experience and say, so this is what the theory is, but let me tell you what sometimes can happen, right? In real life. And these are the kind of things you need to do. And then what we ask is we ask our students, our learners, to apply the knowledge that they're getting in the classroom to an authentic assessment, which means that all of our assessments are based on real world scenarios. And so they have to demonstrate that application of it to something that they could actually uh, occur um, in the workplace. The other way that we do that is through um, the third model of our work integrated learning, where we essentially, um, we either partner with uh, organizations externally, they come and bring us problems, right? And then we have faculty and, and uh, learners work together to solve their problems, or we allow our learners to bring, they take what they're learning in, they apply it to something they're doing at work and bring that in as a demonstration of mastery, right? To show their faculty member, like, here's what you taught me. Oh, wow, I had this really interesting thing happen at work. I applied it and let me show you how I did it uh, and, and how I've mastered this concept for you. So, and that's really well received when you're an adult learner. It all, it really breaks down that barrier between learning and work. So um, little, a uh, little known, um... You probably don't know this, Constance, but I work at Lindenwood University in St. Charles, Missouri. I'm the chief experience officer here. And we recently at Lindenwood launched um, subscription-based uh, undergraduate programs. And I said subscription-based because we're using the um, uh, DOE subscription Title IV methodology. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And boy, we sat down and we saw this, and it's newer, right? It's a couple years old, and not a lot of institutions use that methodology about who we who do we know that's doing anything with this like who who because it's really confusing we're like let's let's call some institutions we called up some institutions and our colleagues and only one institution responded to our reach outs to help us understand and it was capella university and um we had a lot of questions about how it's applied and you know how you do it with your flex path model and so on and I thought, man, you know, there, there are still beacons of hope in higher education where institutions do help each other. And your, your folks gave us a ton of information um, because there is this methodology in, of flat rate subscription pricing that the Department of Ed uses and not a lot of people know it or use it. And implementing it, you, you know it and like it all day long, but actually applying it to a program and designing a program where it can be applied we're really confusing. So I just want to say thank you to you and your team. Um, and then lead into my question, and if you want to respond to that, you can. But my question really is, um, why did you decide to become the president? Right? You, <laughs> that so, was a left-hand turn. You're asking about the subscription base, totally. and then asked why I become the president. I figure this goes together, because you probably have a great team. But, but um, I only do left turns, by the way. Uh, but you could respond to that, but also what, what walked you into this role? Is it something you always dreamed of doing or did you just do this because it was a natural fit because you had a great team underneath you? 
Yeah, I don't think anybody ever grows up, you know, when they're in kindergarten and thinks, oh, I want to be a university president someday, right? Um, I think when I was in kindergarten, I wanted to be a movie star. Did you say um, I want to be an army attorney too? Yeah, no, I didn't want, I do, didn't do that either. I didn't think about that option. Although maybe if I had seen JAG, remember that that TV show years yeah. ago, maybe, because they made it seem a lot more interesting than it is. But um, yeah, you know, I think uh, one of the reasons why I wanted to is just really because I was so... Um, I became so attached to the mission here at Capella, and that meant a lot to me. So most of our most of our programs here, even though we have a strong foundation in, in business and uh, technology, most of our programs are in the social and behavioral sciences and the nursing and the health sciences. And so we call them helping professions, right? And um, over the past six years, I've become very enmeshed in that work and seeing the impact on the disciplines and the fields, right, as a result of the pandemic. So whether it's mental health, whether it's, um, you know, nursing, for example, right, there are shortages all over the place in those key fields. Um, and I think, you know, when when Dick finally got to the point where he was like, I'm going to retire, you know, I really felt like I needed to carry on all the work that we had been doing. Um, and, you know, it's the, it's the constant commitment here of the team to academic quality and the rigor and making sure that we are really changing the lives of our learners who come to us. And it's not just their lives. We're talking about changing the, the trajectory of their future families' lives, right? Um, through education, uh, that really spoke to me. And I wanted to make sure that I was able to help carry on that work here. So you were compelled. Because you're just compelled to step up. That's right. Which, That's which, great. Which, I haven't heard that one before. I'm yeah. going to use that, Joe, now. Use it. Which, if you, <laughs> even though I took a left turn, let me right turn it and close the circle. Okay. So to know that your team stepped up to help us, it, it is that mission, right? It's if you feel compelled to help students and you feel compelled to help others who help students, you step up to help others in higher ed who are helping students. And yeah. it was yeah. so great to bring that whole circle together um, and have you on because I wanted to tell you that live on the podcast to give yeah. kudos to your team for giving us um, some tips uh, but also when you set the mission and the foundation to help um, that doesn't mean when you want to it means all the time yeah and I wish higher ed it was more like that in general I'll be honest like I really feel like at the end of the day if you distill what is the common thing thing that every institution has in common right it's the students like if you take everything out at the end of the day, it's a, it's the students and it's about making sure that they're succeeding. And so if we could really rally around that um, throughout higher education and really work together, I think that we could solve um, a lot of the problems that currently exist. Epic. We'll go to the judges later to see if my questions had <laughs> any relevance to each other, but I really appreciate what you said. Um, Greg, we're just going to kick it to you because obviously I'm way off. <laughs> yeah, I'm happy to, to pick up the ball on that one, Joe, and, and continue with the left turn. But kind of connected to that, I have two questions for you. One, um, I'm curious about what your management philosophy is and your, your style. What's it like to work for you and with you? And second, since you're new to the role as a university president, what advice would you give to other new college and university presidents that are out there? Um, okay, so let's start with the advice. So my advice would be just to, you know, remain humble and just know that you don't know everything and make friends with other new college 
uh, university presidents. Um, I think there's, I think it's really great to learn from each other. And so I've been, I've been doing that a lot, uh, connecting with my peers who are also just stepping into their roles. Um, yeah, I thought you were going to answer like, I, I know you're, I'll probably take you off your question, but I thought you were going to answer like, I would answer if Greg asked me what I would say to other podcasters, this would be my response. Nobody can do that like me. And you're way more <laughs> humble. Um, I think the, in, in terms of my teams and my management style, I think my team, although you should ask them, uh, I think that they would tell you, uh, I try to take the philosophy of hire people smarter than me and get out of their way. Um, and so, uh, really provide a level of autonomy. Um, the people that work for me are incredibly gifted, uh, incredibly dedicated to the mission. And I am here to support them, not to make their jobs harder, but to make their jobs easier. Uh, and so I just basically sit there behind them. I look at it like training wheels, right? Like I'm just there in case you need me, but you can go ahead and do what you want. So um, they have been absolutely phenomenal. Uh, everybody who works here at the institution is. And so uh, very blessed. Dick and I were both very blessed to have such a strong team. How long did it take for you to search you know, so Dick decides to retire. You know, I, I was there a comprehensive search? Was it succession planning? You know, can you talk to me about how that worked yeah. itself? Yeah, um, you know, it was one of the things that we came down to where uh, it was all succession planning. Um, and uh, when the board uh, approved me, they said, this is how succession planning is supposed to work. Yeah. So that was great. And, you know, it helps that Dick and I, you know, he was he, he was the charm. He was always the charm, but he was also he wasn't just my boss. He was also a great mentor. Right. And a friend. And so over the years, the six years that I worked for him, he was just he was developing me the entire time. Um, and so I learned so much underneath him. And so I was really lucky uh, to be able to have that experience. That's such an important point. We talk about it sometimes on the podcast, but probably not often enough where if you have poor succession planning and you you go outside um which a lot of institutions do and you go do run a national search and you bring in somebody who's been a leader in other places and you sit that person down in a culture that's been driving forward in a particular direction it can break things it can it can really mm -hmm. change a lot it can change the director the trajectory boy you see how i am today trajectory you know I got what I meant to say. Yes, um, it. it can. You could see enrollment declines for a while. That succession planning, especially if it's board informed, which is the way it's supposed to go, you don't miss a beat, right? Mm -hmm. You don't take turnover, uh, and you have your great people leave because they're nervous about how it's going to be. How was your reception, right, from your eyes when it was announced and everybody went, ah, exactly what we need? Like That's this makes total sense. I mean, I, I think everybody is like, oh yeah, like they just, they just knew because Dick and I were always so aligned. I mean, we helped develop the strategy, right? We were implementing it. It was just always, we were always lockstep together the entire way. Um, and so when it, when he finally said, you know, I think I'm going to retire, it was just a natural thing. Everybody's like, yep, that was the right pick, right? We were moving in the right direction. She's going to carry on the mission. I'm not going to do a 180 and all of a sudden things are done because I help build the strategy and I agree with the direction that we're going. And we are seeing historic highs in terms of, you know, uh, our student performance um, in the classroom, in terms of enrollment, all of that. It's all, everybody's just rowing in the same direction. And we just, we didn't want to disrupt that to your point, Joe. 
I'll pass it back to you, real, uh, Greg. Well, I want to ask one more question. Shout out to Dick, by the way, Dick. I hope you're well. Um, it was always he's uh, fabulous. Uh, he is yeah. fabulous and glowing, Joe. When you see Good. him next time, he he is enjoying his well-deserved retirement. Well, I was going <laughs> to ask you. Did you say when Dick said, "You know, I think I'm going to retire"? Did you say, "Hey, Dick, you know what? You should go travel, man. Go to it." Or did you go, "Well, wait a second, wait a second, wait a second. Let's talk about a timeline here." Did you get the? Was there like a? Okay, wait a second. Is this happening? Were you like, no, I'm ready? Uh, what was your like a instant? No, a little combination of both, depending on the day, right? Like, so some days I was like, okay, I'm ready for it, and the next day I was like, you can't leave. And so <laughs> it was one of those things. So he and I had, you know, good laugh, and I still, I still speak with him daily uh, because, like I mentioned, you know, we're also friends, and so uh, he, he's a great sounding board uh, as I'm as I'm navigating my early uh, months of presidency. Awesome, Greg. I, I love your management style and the way you describe that, Constance. I I practice a similar style, and my my mother is my mentor. People ask me sometimes, like, who was your business mentor and life mentor or whatever, and it's it's my mom. Tell them like it is. And she, <laughs> she, for better or worse, she is still my mentor, and it's tough love, you know. Always from awesome. one of the things she told me when when I was way younger than I am now is, you know, if you're ever in a position to to hire people, make sure they are smarter than you are. When you're much younger, that's like, huh? Like, Outrageous. Um, but, you know, as I now, you know, at this stage, I know exactly what she was talking about. And I practice that. It's very easy for me to do, by the way, to hire that people smarter correct. than me. <laughs> but it does, it pays huge dividends, especially with the style that you described of you know, you hire the best people, really smart people, and you give them the support that they need and the make sure they're resourced and you get out of the way kind of thing. And I'm curious, did you have a mentor that, that you learned from that you developed that style or is this something you discovered on your own? Uh, I think it was a combination of a little. I've had two really fantastic bosses uh, in my lifetime. One was when, when, one was when I was on active duty um, and uh, he went on to be a general officer uh, in the JAG Corps, but he taught me how to write and communicate effectively. And I can say that like, I, I owe everything today uh, in terms of my writing ability uh, to him. And, and then the other one I would say is Dick. And uh, Dick was the one who gave me a lot of freedom, um, sometimes freedom to make mistakes, but also taught me about work-life balance. Um, and, you know, I was no good to him if I burned myself out. And so the importance of, you know, I don't want to hear from you on the weekends. You need to go have a life, right? You work hard Monday through Friday. If it's an emergency, contact me. Otherwise, I don't want to hear from you. Um, and that was very different uh, than any experience I had ever had. And so I also try to infuse that into my teams here. One of the things coming back around to the website uh, real fast as we start to get to the end of this podcast. You love, but... you love our w website, don't you, Joe? You uh, just love uh, it. We, we both do. We were talking about it before you came <laughs> on, by the way. Well, yeah, it's good. Um, education defined by flexibility. It's a tagline sitting right up there. Yeah. And start to think about what that means. Education defined by flexibility versus education the way we've designed it and you have to figure out how to take it. I mean, there, right. there's, a, there's a stance there that you're taking. Can you just talk more about that and how it relates to the overall strategy of uh, Capella University? Yeah, I mean, I think in higher ed in general, and I'm, again, this is a massive generalization, but we always think as the educators that we know what's good for people. 
right? And so I think that really is a key here is listening to what students need, listening to what employers are saying that they need from their employees, right, in the workplace, um, and then building that kind of curriculum and that flexibility into it so people can learn and consume information um, in a way that um, is manageable, especially as a working adult. Right, especially as a working adult, because that's really tough um, going back to school and it requires a massive commitment. And, you know, uh, we recently just partnered with um, Optum, which is a arm of the United Healthcare Group, uh, to launch a nurse practitioner program. And we know, as I mentioned earlier, right, we know that like mental health professionals, nurses, right, are in massive shortage across the country. And so that partnership, we built our curriculum um, in partnership with Optum um, to, because they are experiencing a shortage to kind of address those needs. So we launched a program um, in October, a nurse practitioner in gerontology and most recently in um, family practice, which has been really well received and much needed. But those working nurses coming in who might only have a BSN and then want to go get their nurse, pra nurse practitioner degree now have that now have that flexibility to be able to do that. They can continue on. We have we have a really robust uh, undergraduate space of nurses. And so it's really continuing that entire pipeline uh, to be able to to give that experience um, to those people who want to continue to move forward in their careers. Do you think that uh, do you think that mental health when we talk about online students, adult mm -hmm. students, that it's understated? Right, because I think when I hear mental health and you're in higher ed, we typically go to the on-campus student or the younger student who's, you know, experiencing some anxiety for moving in or moving away from home, and all of a sudden they're ending up in a. And I see that a lot at Lindenwood because we do have a, a three thousand or so, four thousand general um, traditional students, and so we're seeing that. And and I'll say things like, well. We do have a lot of online students too. What are we? How are we extending our services to the online student? We're we just forgetting mm -hmm. about. We just assume because you're an adult with two kids, or you're at home and you're taking right. education, you're that okay. you don't have the same. Yeah, right. you're good. If you're okay. No, if anything, you're more stressed. Right. Like you're more stressed trying to manage all that. I mean, I think back to our, you know, our adult learners who during the pandemic, when we were all in lockdown, when the whole world was in lockdown, right, trying to like work their jobs at home, having children going to school, doing online learning. Right. Maybe they had someone who was sick or they lost somebody as a result of covid. Right. And they're trying to manage all those stressors of just being responsible for everybody's collective survival and going to school at the same time. Right. So I really think that in terms of the online space in the adult student, mental health is definitely underreported um, and is not being tracked uh, as much as it should be. Yeah, I agree. All right, Greg, you get your last shot. Make it make it a good one here before I close out the episode. I, I think we should go back to the website one more time. <laughs> okay. It's like a slam dunk. Yeah. Um, yeah, that, you know, our research with adult learners, 80, it's, I think it was 87% in the last study which is not really surprising when you think about it. 87% of prospective students interact with, you know, the schools that are in the consideration set website. Mm -hmm. Surprise. So when you when you think about that, that big surprise, and you think about, okay, well, what are they looking for when they go there? And it kind of goes back to those things that I was mentioning earlier. Right? Can they can they easily find how much it costs and can they easily find if it's if there's a flex path option or if there's something that kind of meets that need around 
um, the flexibility and everything, time to completion and, and so forth. You may not know the answer to this, but when when that when your website was conceptualized, were though was that the thinking behind it? It was you start from student centric and then kind of build it from there. I think everything that we do, every facet of our organization from the website um, all the way into our course rooms is really focused on user experience design learning, right? You can't, you have to design it from the outside in and how the person's going to be interacting with it rather than, again, what we think, right, should be on there. Um, and so I think that's what you're seeing is that user experience um, and the feedback uh, that we have received uh, in that for, in the design. So that's what makes it much more intuitive than some other sites. Well, Constance, I'm pretty sure I could talk to you for a lot longer than your uh, team has allotted me. Um, but, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll have you back on after a year or so when you... You go, oh God, it's been 10 years. When I have uh, more gray hair, is that what you're going to say? Next as time much you see me, me, I'll be yeah, all yeah, gray. As much as me. <laughs> uh, it's, it's, it's blonde. I know it doesn't look it, but um, we, we like to ask our guests two final questions to end every episode. Oh, okay. Uh, one, it's not really a question, but it, it's an open mic moment. I mean, here's an open mic for you to say anything you want about Capella University, anything you can think of about Capella University or your work there. Take a couple minutes, lay it on us. So I would say um, of all of the institutions I've had the privilege of working for, that Capella um, University is the best. And I'm not just saying that because I'm the president now. I would say that everybody who's involved with it is so ultimately committed to the mission. So whether you work in course development all the way to, you know, an enrollment counselor on the front line, they truly believe, right, in the university's mission of being innovative, right, uh, really engaging with those career amplifiers, making sure that we're helping change the trajectory of uh, you know, students who are coming to the institution and their lives. Um, and I think the fact that we have, I will just say this, over 11 accreditations or, uh, for programmatic accreditors, uh, you know, uh, really speaks volumes in terms of our academic quality and the gold standards. Everything that we do, academic excellence is the foundation. Um, underneath. So uh, if you're if you're looking for an institution to attend, I would definitely encourage you to check out Capella. What do you see, Constance, as the future of higher education? Oh my God. I have to answer this in one minute in the future of higher education. Well, you, you can, can take technically you're the guest. On this. <laughs> yeah, you can take as much time as you want. You're the guest. You do what you want. You know, I what I think is so interesting about higher ed right now is for a uh, for for a institution that really considers itself to be so progressive, it's unbelievably conservative, uh, mm -hmm. and especially when it comes to changing. And we know everybody knows that higher ed needs to change, right? And how it's delivering, how it's teaching, how it's learning. Just look at AI, right, and the impacts that it's having, all of that. And you know, I think the future of innovation and uh, educational technology is really going to result in some shifting paradigms when it comes to learning. If you're looking at Generation Alpha and even Generation Z, who's coming up, they have much different expectations uh, in terms of how that they want to integrate learning into their lives, uh, in terms of how they're interacting, um, you know, in the online space, everything else. And so I think that higher ed is going to have to figure out how they want to marry those two in order to maintain its relevancy going forward. Mm. You know, I, I say this just so well said all the time. I bring this up on the podcast. You know, there's, there's a reason why 
we skip the intro credits when we watch our favorite Netflix show. We, we skip it. Why we expect our Amazon packages to be delivered the same day or next day. Right. Three, quick, these, three clicks or less. Exactly. Right. We have these expectations now that are way, way higher in terms of speed and and intensity in periods of time because time is so precious. And, and uh, to your point, you know, sub, the word subscription is one that keeps coming up in higher ed mm -hmm. now. Um, way easy to say. Like change is a really easy word to say in higher ed. So Very much hard, hard to, to do. do. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. Absolutely. Well said. Well, um, I, Greg, what do you think about this episode? I think it was great. I have to admit, I'm a rookie. This is my first time doing oh, this. But, uh, Me too, Greg. And we survived. <laughs> we survived, Joe. I know. I can't. The time, <laughs> the time flew. Where did it go? 50 minutes. It's gone. Just remember. Destiny arrives all the same. <laughs> See, now you're all pros. You're all pros. Well, ladies and gentlemen, my guest co-host today, it's the first time you've heard him, but maybe not the last time you'll hear him, especially since I'm probably going to see him in person in the next couple of months, and I'll have a hot mic ready for him to sit down and join me. He is the one and only Greg Clayton. He's the president of Enrollment Management Solutions and Services at Education Dynamics. Greg, thanks for being on. It wasn't too bad, right, your first time? Oh, it was great. I, it, you know, it was constants that made this work. So I'm Absolutely. glad I was co-hosting his guest. Right. I am the thorn between the two roses. That's what it is. <laughs> well, Constance, like I do for any college president uh, who comes on this podcast, once your episode releases, you have an open invitation to join me as a guest co-host whenever you want. That'd be so fun, Joe. Yeah, that'd be awesome. We will send you I'd a schedule and you get to pick from it and be part of the conversation interviewing somebody else from, a, from wherever across higher ed. So we'll be in touch. Fantastic. I have to be honest, you're pretty good on a mic. Pretty good on a microphone. No, it's because I had such great co-hosts. That's why. The three oh, of us together, okay. right? We were like the peanut gallery, so it worked out we, great. We were. We, it was a little bit of a mess, but also very well <laughs> done at the same time. Um, but it was such a pleasure to have you on, uh, Constance. Uh, I, I do encourage uh, everyone, if you're thinking about change and you're thinking about innovation in higher ed, Capella is one of the places you can look to for how to do things. Um, and I know that because I reached out, my team reached out recently, and we got great tips um, from Constance and her team. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, my guest, your guest today, her name is Dr. Constance St. Germain. She is the president, the new president, but the longtime president, soon to be, at Capella University. Constance, we hope you had fun today in I addition did. to talking about higher ed. I did. I, I, enjoyed, I enjoyed the discussion. Well, and we enjoyed... all your sound effects and all your sound effects. Very well, good. I got more. So we'll come <laughs> back. Well, ladies and gentlemen, you know what you have done. You've just ed upped. Attention. It's time to register for Elusian Live 2024, April 7th through 10th in San Antonio, Texas. Illuminate, innovate, inspire, explore higher education's greatest opportunities with future-ready ideas, solutions, and best practices designed to drive transformation. Register now at elive.elucian.com. This conference is going to be epic. Hey there, higher ed leaders. Are you thinking about joining the EdUp Experience podcast at Insights EDU on February 20th? through 22nd in Phoenix, Arizona? 100%. I thought so. This is the go-to event for higher education marketing and enrollment management. At Insights EDU, you'll gain cutting-edge insights from industry experts, including speakers from companies like Google, LinkedIn, Adobe, Salesforce, 
and more. Become the transformational leader your campus needs by participating in discussions on important topics like online student demands and preferences, increasing affordability and accessibility, branding, measuring marketing performance, and much more. Insights EDU is the conference you need to attend in 2024. Register now at insightsedu.com and use the code EDUP to save $50 off your registration.